Hello, and welcome to the 10th episode of Wildfire Matters. Jennifer, we made it to the 10th. Yeah, 10 episodes. That's awesome and amazing at the same time. A milestone for us. The podcast that covers all aspects of wildland fire management for the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. We talk with the people who help manage and protect our public lands, many who dedicate their lives to the profession. Today, Jennifer and I are talking with Dr. Patricia O'Brien, or Dr. Patty as we call her. She is the BLM Fire's National Critical Incident Stress Program Manager. Welcome, Dr. Patty. Thank you. Yeah, welcome to our podcast. Thanks. Yeah, in the last nine episodes of the podcast, we've been talking to professionals, fire personnel that have worked in different uh, areas of fire. A lot of it is we talk about how they get started, what their job is like, um, so people get a feel for like behind the scenes what we do. Um, a lot of times they talk about what they like, what they don't like, but um, a lot of it's really about about the position and, and the good points of the position. What we don't get into, though, a lot of times is um, the things that happen to us while we're out there on the fire lines. And it could be for any profession that you could experience some bad things that happen. And it could create some trauma or stress in your life. And it could be not even anything related to fire or, or your job. It could be something that happens at home that you bring to work. So today we're switching the topic a little bit to talk to Dr. Patty more about kind of mental health and well-being and mental health being <laughs> not a bad topic to talk about, but it's a very important topic because people need to understand that as part of our physical well-being, we also need to be mentally well to do our jobs and be mentally and physically fit to do our jobs. So really glad to have you here, Dr. Patty, to talk about this today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here to talk about these things too. Yeah, and before we get started, you know, People might not really understand what critical incident stress management is, and this is kind of a new position, correct? It's new in its current form. Yes, yes. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we actually have a doctor yes. working with for us. Super exciting. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about um, just what CISM, we call it, critical incident stress management is, and how you got involved with this? Yeah, no, I'm happy to. So... Um, so critical incident stress management, or CISM, or CISM, is uh, basically a, a set or a suite of, of resources um, that are designed to support people after critical incidents. So a, a critical incident is essentially um, a significant event, a high stress event, or um, in some cases a trauma event. and uh, those types of events can kind of run the full spectrum. They could be um, something that happens, on, you know, in the course of uh, on on the line. It can also be things that happen um, off duty. It can be things that happen with coworkers. It's any event that pushes our kind of ca- capacity to cope in the moment. So, um, CISM uh, resources are really designed to help people understand what's happening, um, understand what, uh, I guess, normal reactions are in those, in those situations and, and how to cope. And then also um, one of the core features of um, critical incident stress management is peer support. And so, you know, there are a lot of folks in FIRE who are wonderful supporters and have been through their own experiences or just have a lot of um, a lot to offer in the way of supporting other people. And 
Um, so we really rely on that that knowledge, that wisdom that comes from firefighters to care for other firefighters and integrate, you know, clinicians to support peers and support um, employees as necessary too. So as part of your position, what do you, um, as far as managing that, um, what all do you bring to it? Um, how does how that work with you, I guess, and um, the employee support? Yeah. So um, one part of it, and I think when people, you know, most commonly hear SISM, they think about um, a peer support response that happens after after a significant event. So um, in my role, I've worked to help coordinate and identify appropriate peers that match, you know, the needs of the situation and um, a clinician potentially that uh, matches the needs of the situation and, and lining those folks out and um, planning for timing and all the logistics of how to connect with folks that have been impacted by a, a particular event. Um, we're starting to really build on the other parts of um, critical incident stress management, um, Those the parts that happen pre-season and post-season, so really expanding mental health education, um, helping folks transition, make those fire season transitions from pre-season to uh, active fire season and then also you know from active fire season to an off season is there a training or something for folks that want to be involved um, for the peer support side of it yes great question so there absolutely is um we kind of press pause on that during covid because it was just really hard to um hard to pull off during that time so we're starting to get ramped up back up again but yep there's a um a series of courses um to take and um, so it's basic peer support and uh, there's two courses sort of sort of embedded in that and we're hopefully going to get more and more um, going here over the winter and spring. Great. So then they can maybe reach out or is it on the NWCG site or something that they can click on for a training? So we're working on that part too. Um, right now it's kind of hard uh, to you know locate where to you know where to find all those trainings. So we're working on a website. Um, please feel free to reach out to me and um, we'll do our best also to get the, the information out through email and, and those kinds of networks too. Perfect. Right. And, and then how did, exactly did you get started in this transition to fire? Yeah. Um, well, I worked in fire for a long time with the Forest Service and um, I think really saw at that, you know, that, my undergrad degree was in psychology, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, and um, ended up in fire for a really long time. And I think it became just much more apparent, like how much of a need there is for support services and and the kinds of experiences that folks go through. Um, you know, especially looking at a career span, there's a lot that that people can um, be asked to navigate in a in a career and. So um, I think as I, and I ended up back in graduate school in, in psychology and um, those interests, that experience just sort of overlapped and I, re I got really interested in, you know, mental health and fire. So um, I ended up moving out of operational fire and um, really had to be full-time, present full-time in grad school and training and um, then ended, I worked for Veterans Affairs for uh, the last four years before coming to BLM, and that was also, you know, VA has um, 
just a, done a tremendous job of, of really identifying the needs of veterans, the health needs of veterans, and then developing programs to match those needs. And I think uh, we're starting, you know, down that path in a really uh, big way right now as well in Wildland Fire. So I'm really excited to be back in wild, the wild, world of Wildland Fire and especially at this, this point in time when there's so much interest in mental health. And we do we do employ a lot of vets too, so that kind of fits as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, we see a lot of uh, a lot of our firefighter and just fire personnel in general. You know, we go through this time um, where we're busy, 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 and maybe experience some traumatic event, or maybe not. Maybe it's just um, just the course of the job. You see a lot of things happening. Um, communities lost, people impacted by, by wildland fire, and, and it could have an impact on our personnel and our employees in ways that we don't know, and maybe even they don't know, and they don't have time to sit there and ask about it or, or, or contemplate what's happening um, until like the end of the season, which is kind of like this year or this time of year. So um, what are some of the things that um, can help them, I guess? Um, well, I think that, you know, you bring up a really good point in that, you know, I think for a large part of, uh, I guess, for to, to be able to do work in fire, whether it's fire support or um, on the line fire, it really requires um, being able to sort of flexibly put our own needs aside and our own, you know, you know, physical discomfort, emotional discomfort, um, you know, the things that um, maybe bring us uh, joy or meaning in our kind of off-season life, those relationships or experiences, we kind of have to press pause on for a while. And it's something that I would say is even necessary to be able to do this kind of work. But it's, um, there's a tipping point, right? So it's like we can press pause or sort of suppress those, those emotions or reactions or experiences for sometime um in order to perform well in the moment but you know we need to to come back to it we need to come back to those um parts of our lives and those human responses at some point and it's hard to switch gears and sometimes it feels like you know i always think about um pressure it's like when you push something underwater sometimes it's like it comes back uh in a big way so to be able to notice one when and how that happens during fire season. And then also, um, I mean, the part about being able to notice, you know, the things we're having to manage to do this job and then being able to come back to those pieces um, when we can and um, take care of ourselves. So, you know, that transition from fire season to off season um, can ask a lot of people. So, you know, um, I think being um, just attentive, just aware that this can be a challenging time to move away from, uh, you know, those the group work environments that we're in, the people that we're around, working on a team, working on really meaningful work. To for mo- for a lot of people, like a much more quiet period of time or a more family focused period of time. Um, there are, I would expect, a lot of things that might change um, or might come up for folks during that time. So. Um, I think this is going to look different for different people, but I think just being tuned in as best you can and really um, 
caring for your own needs. So that might also look, you know, again, very different for different people. But um, can, reconnecting with uh, the folks that we've been away from, reconnecting with who we are outside of being firefighters or being, um, you know, employed in the wildland fire service, finding things that are meaningful to do with our time, um, finding ways to engage with community, uh, whether that's the fire community or other communities, other um, networks that we belong to, family, um, friends, church, uh, groups, hobbies, um, but basically staying connected, making sure that all parts of our lives are, are alive and moving, not just not just the fire part. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know we're kind of, we're coming off of, uh, or we're still in Suicide Prevention Month. Um, we had a Suicide Prevention Week, which we had a lot of materials and tools for firefighters. And this goes along with it as well, is just um, to recognize um, those tipping points, I guess, and um, be able to help people or help yourself. And mental health is so important to go with our physical health, like we said before. Uh, so, um, one, we're, we're working on a website that I think is going to be great. A lot of resources, um, mental health resources and tools. Hopefully that will be coming, um, be live before the, the start of next fire season. So keep, a, keep an eye out for that one. But in the meantime, um, Mental Health Subcommittee has a lot of great websites um, or resources on the website. So that we did put together a series of um of, um, I don't know, documents, I guess, that highlights some information about mental health that in recognition of Suicide Prevention Week. And there's, there's information about different um, resources and just mental health information that can be helpful too. Um, those are designed to be able to, uh, I guess, facilitate group discussions or um, integrate into other types of training, but they're just sort of bite-sized mental health information uh, pieces. And, um, you know, I think also um, there are kind of the, the established resources also of EAP is always there. Um, and, um, you know, there are also uh, a lot of services through EAP that I think folks don't know about. So there are does EAP stand for? Oh, thank you for, for catching yeah. that. So Employee <laughs> Assistance Program. And the contractor that um, DOI uses is uh, Aspire. It's spelled E-S-P-Y-R. And um, so, and we can probably put some links to that too. But um, so the um, Employee Assistance Program prov provides counseling services, short-term counseling services for employees and um, their qualifying family members. And that uh, program is available to folks even after they um, are terminated, essentially. So if you're a seasonal employee and you you're, you wrap up your job, you still have access to that program for six months or for folks that retire. Um, for people that are working full-time, it's it's accessible full-time. Um, and then, of course, there are a ton, you know, not everybody wants to use EAP, um, but there are lots of resources in the community. And I'm mostly talking about uh, formal treatment services like through EAP or other therapy providers, but... Um, there's just a lot out there. And um, if you start looking, you'd be, you'd be amazed at um, the amount of resources for mental health information and support through YouTube, through even social media, though you kind of have to watch that sometimes. Um, 
but there's there's a wealth of information out there. I think you said something key is <clears throat> is retirees. I think that's the also another community that they've worked their entire careers, they're excited, but then they get outside of that and they're like, oh, what am I doing now? And so I think some most people have a plan and stuff, but sometimes it's hard to leave that community and you're excited. But I, def, I like how you said retirees for sure have those options and also those resources as well. I think that's another important group. Yeah, for sure. Talk about a big transition um, and a big shift of identity and community. And um, I think it's important to think even long term for folks that have not retired yet about that transition and making sure that we have um, lives to move into, exciting parts of our lives to move into outside of fire. Yeah, really making that plan mm-hmm. and having other things to keep you busy for yeah. sure is huge. That's what I've heard from other people too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it should be um, normal to raise awareness, it should be normal to ask about these kind of things or um, maybe look for these kind of things. I like the, you know, thinking about it post-season and pre-season, I mean, mm-hmm. as well as post-season. I mean, as you're preparing to go into it to what, what things can you mentally prepare for is a good idea too. But I think with all the resources, it could be a little overwhelming as well. So, yes, um, is there someone to like yourself to guide people? Like, <laughs> hey, I just have this little deal going on in my head. What would be the best thing for me? Who can they yeah. talk to about that? <laughs> so, um, well, one, I always want to acknowledge too, and I haven't mentioned this so far, but you know, one of the I think most powerful things we can do as members of the wildland fire community is is to reach out to each other. And support each other and check on each other and text and send you know send messages send photos I even saw some research on this recently that um, a single text message from a friend has measurable impact on um, their well-being so never underestimate the power of reaching out to people just even to say hello or to say you know to say hey in the, if you're the one feeling you know like you need to connect so I think that in itself can be is is a huge resource, and um, of course we that's informal peer support. That's just being good friends and good family uh, fire family members. Um, there's also the peer support network through um, through BLM. People are certainly welcome to reach out to me. Um, I'm more than happy to help connect folks with resources, including um, you know providers, therapists, if that's of interest. And I don't think we've talked about this yet. I mean, we talked about, you know, the critical incidents um, that or the trauma we might experience from that. Or, and it could be something in your life and you're taking it to work. But just um, maybe this general depression, you know, and, and that can just little things can add up and start wearing on people. And how might people deal with just being depressed? Yeah. Um, I think this is a great question. And um, I think sometimes... You know, we talk a lot about trauma because it's 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 the maybe one mental health experience that we can link to a, a known identifiable cause. Um, it's much harder with other experiences. There's maybe not one single event or experience that we can link it to, but we do know that depression, for example, is more a more common outcome than PTSD after trauma, and we don't always talk so much about depression and. So anyway, I'm glad you brought this up because we know that depression is, is just a super common experience and, and a really painful one. So um, 
you know, I think being able to recognize what those signs and symptoms are in yourself, it looks different, you know, for different people. Um, and being able to get really skilled at finding ways to kind of jumpstart your system maybe. Um, and that sounds maybe more uh, dramatic than what I, what I intended, but find ways to, to steer, you know, steer the course in, in slight, um, slightly different, a slightly different direction. So, um, you know, for some people, they might feel really sad. For other people, they might um, feel really numb. For other people, it might show up more as anger or irritability or just being short-tempered, um, losing patience. So I think it's, you know, like I said, being able to know how things, how um, low mood or depression shows up for you um, or people that you care about and being able to, to provide that gentle feedback to others of like, I notice you're, you're kind of down or I haven't heard from you for a long time and I'm, you know, how are you doing? Um, and then being able to know the things that you can connect with. So people are mm -hmm. those relationships and connections um, are a huge factor. We know that being connected and feeling like we belong and um, feeling cared about is a huge um, protective factor. Um, exercise is has huge biological benefits to mood. Um, I mean, depression or or not, I think we all can benefit from these things that um, that boost our mood a little bit. So depression is, or sorry, exercise is a big one. Sleep is a big one. Eating a healthy diet has um, significant effect on how we're how we're feeling day to day. I always think about like sleep, diet, exercise, relationships are sort of like the foundational pieces of, of how we how we feel an awful lot of the time. So being able to to fine tune those areas of our lives in a really proactive way, I think can have really big impacts. Yeah, and if you don't get that in check too, it can lead to just more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so good point on that. Yeah. I think the, the thing that we often feel inclined to do when we're feeling down is to just ignore yeah. and or to pull, pull back from um, some of those things that might help actually lift us up because they feel really, really hard to do. So, you know, um, working out when we're feeling down can for some, you know, can be like extraordinarily difficult. So being able to um, to do what we can and kind of over overpower some of those motivations to pull back, to withdraw, to cut ourselves off from activities or things um, is, is really kind of the name of the game. And those are like signs for us to see in a friend. Yeah. If I see that in Carrie, then that's one of those things like to reach out and just, you know, find out and have that conversation. I think there's that stigma of, of it's like, oh, we shouldn't ask that or we shouldn't, you know, invade their privacy. But really it is important, like you said, a text message or just something um, to open up that conversation and find out, hey, are you okay? Do you need to go for a walk or do you want to go chat or for a hike? And I think those are important things too for us on the outside to see in people. Yeah, absolutely. It's just caring for people, right? Like, um, and so often, like, you, you bring up this good point that, like, we want to respect people's privacy and, um, and you know, that's a that's a, a judgment call, and uh, I think those friendly connections go a really long way. Also depends on the person too. If you know someone, you kind of know. Yeah, 
mm-hmm. what their points are. <laughs> yep, yep. Or I mean, that's even asking. Maybe you don't know them as well, but somebody else does, and they ha- they're comfortable asking those questions. But I mean, um, we have thing for safety lookouts, communications, escape routes, and safety zones. C for communications. We do that all the time in the firefighting world. Um, it's hard to do on the other side when you're talking about mental health for sure. But yeah, yep, yep. And just recognizing that for sure. Yep. And sometimes they just need to release. <laughs> Jennifer and I have had a few of those. And yes. sometimes it just, and it's not that everyone, you know, not always depressed all the time. And everyone has bad days. I'm pretty sure everyone has bad days. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of a normal thing. Yep. Maybe a couple of bad days. You know, it goes in threes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully more than that. But if it is kind of a long going thing, then definitely want to yep. check in. Yeah. No, for sure. And, um, and, you know, the other side of that is, like, that we know there are really effective treatments for depression, we, both um, through therapy or medications or um, sometimes even looking at um, sleep or other kind of medical things that might be influencing mood. Uh, it's one of, it's it's very treatable. And so, you know, when I think about, like, physical health conditions, we would never have a broken arm and keep it a secret or be embarrassed to to ask for help and um, I think especially in in our work like fire we have to be able to have those conversations to advocate for our health in the same way that we would for um, a physical injury or a strain or a pain yeah right well it's so important too because I mean yeah you have a broken arm broken leg you're not physically going to be able to work probably out on the fire line. Um, but if you have something going on in your head, I mean, it's the same thing can happen. I mean, you're putting yourself at risk, but others around you at risk as well. You may not even know it because it affects your decision making and um, just your overall well-being to be on that line with these people working. So, yeah, it is very important to recognize those things. Yeah. They play hand in hand for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think you talked about that pre-season um, engagement. And it's not just you, but also getting your family um, ready for that as well. So, and then also the post getting back to the family as well. So I think it's not just your fire community. It's the family as well. Yep. Repping on both sides. Yeah. We so often um, don't include families discussion of family members as much as we should, but um you know that's a big part of our lives, and it's part of um, it's part of you know one of those aspects of life for many people that kind of has to be, you know, not put on the back burner, but we have to find ways to engage in fire that takes us away from um, from family life, and then how to come back to it and um, make those transitions and reconnect. And um, I think fire is really unique in that it's like for a lot of people anyway, uh, has that in and out kind of experience, not just once, but like every year. What are some of the things that fire personnel can do to manage stress? Because stress can be, can lead to depression. I mean, we all feel stressed at some point too. Yeah. I mean, I think again, this is, this is a very individual thing. Um, and, and part of, you know, being able to manage stress effectively really has to do with getting to know your own getting to know yourself and what how stress shows up, um, what it looks like, and then also um, some of those things that help to to help it simmer down a little bit. So 
um, you know, some of the things that I think uh, can be really helpful are just doing what we can when we can. And part of, I think, what's so challenging about fire season, for example, is like there are some big parts of our of life that are not under our, our control. The food, the sleep environment, uh, you know, when and when and where assignments come in. Um, there's a lot that we don't have influence over. Um, cell service is a big one. Um, but there are ways that we can uh, do what we can with, I guess, the areas of um, our lives at that time, uh, you know, that are, are, are more under, under control. So being able to send a text message, send pictures, do um, be clear in communication with, fam- with family members about what, what is this going to look like, be- what, you know, during fire season. How I know um, even making a really clear plan about um, this is how we're going to navigate, you know, days off. <clears throat> or this is how we're going to navigate assignments where I don't have cell service. Um, and even though that the, you know, the outcome itself might not change, they still might not have cell service, that communication up front can really help um, to smooth things, to stay connected. Um, and, um, and then also just all those kind of regular things, doing what we can to, to improve sleep, doing what we can to let go of, of the parts of uh, stressful work stuff um, that we can't, that we reasonably can which is easier said than done. (laughs) I think one of the things, too, that we talked about today in um, our Fire Chat Friday is that reconnecting with yourself Mm -hmm. and that we always are like, yeah, I have to do this for the crew, I have to do this for the engine, I have to do this, and I have to do this for the family. Reconnecting with yourself, too, and just making yourself important is, I think, one of the things that will help stress and anxiety and depression depression and just know that I got it's okay to take time for yourself to go for a hike or just have quiet time. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, for some people, I think that can feel really um, hard after fire season when there's always something to be done or people to be around um, and really meaningful work to do. And um, so to make that transition to uh, off season when there's much less like right in front of us, I think sometimes can feel like a big even loss of identity, a loss of community. So um, like you said, being able to uh, connect with those parts of ourselves that are kind of put on the back burner sometimes or we aren't able to connect with as easily during fire season um, really is sort of self-care and um, and making sure that we have um, you know being proactive about having parts of our lives that that are fulfilling outside of fire so hobbies family friends um, causes that we care about books experiences, travel, having an identity that's that's bigger than just fire. Kind of planning for that mm-hmm. then, more or less. Mm-hmm. And and also having, I think it's important, like you said, to have your family and friends involved, friends that aren't involved in fire, but don't know what you go through, mm-hmm. <laughs> to have them involved in that. Yeah, and I think, again, this is where there's so much variability. I know people that, that say, you know, I wish fire season was year-round. Like, I just want to keep going and keep doing, you know, stay busy. This is what, you know, I want my life to be. And um, and that really is fulfilling at different parts of, you know, phases of life. And then they're also, you know, at different, you know, different times. Maybe that's not what 
is uh, useful to us. And so it's, it is, there's no one, you know, one clear answer for, that works for everybody, but it's really like being able to tune in, pay attention to what's going on with yourself and other people and make those adjustments. Again, easier said than done. Right. Yeah. So there's a stigma of mental health. And sometimes I equate mental health with mental illness, which is different. But there's still this stigma of of mental health. And and people don't want to talk about it. Um, They don't want to believe that they might need help. But it's not about help all the time. If if you have a traumatic um, incident, possibly it is. um, Or just things compiling, possibly it is, but it's those little things that you just have to clear your mind, have good good health mm-hmm. mentally for emotional, intellectual, um, and even physical well-being. Um, so what are the, some of the things, like simple things that people can do maybe to, to help with that? Yeah. No, I'm really glad you brought up the this topic of stigma and um this is one area that I think is is starting to change, and as we're seeing, you know, at least I'm hearing more and more from fire folks that the topics of mental health and, um, you know, acknowledging some of the the impact of of fire of experiences that people go through um, firefighting uh, that they want to talk about them and they want to want more resources and support and there's just more recognition of the the powerful impact of some some of the things that people um, encounter in this work. So I think that, um, you know, that impulse to basically avoid thinking, talking, acknowledging um, is one that sometimes we, we use to just get through the moment. And sometimes it's, you know, we need to do that to get through a moment. But over the long term, uh, you know, there's some really, some really negative consequences to uh, just not acknowledging that mental health exists. And of course, we all experience, uh, we're always, um, we all experience some aspect of mental health at any given time. So, um, you know, you, I appreciate that point that sometimes we, the terms mental health and mental illness, we use them in an interchangeable way. And, um, I think it's useful to start thinking about mental health almost like um, as a positive state of well-being or wellness, or there are lots of words that maybe we could substitute in there. But um, and then also the you know the flip side of that that there are times that uh, we're not doing so well, and that our mental or emotional state is um, more painful or more negative. And uh, so you know I think acknowledging both sides or that that continuum um, and then really just just talking about it. I think that for so long, you know, when I think about my own experiences coming up in fire, um, I guess personal, you know, mental health experiences, whether positive or negative, for lack of a better term, were sort of viewed as like personal problems and that your job really is to show up and be ready to do the work and you take care of that stuff on your own time. And as long as you show up and are working, we're good to go. Um, you know, of course, we know that that's uh, we might be able to maintain that for a while, but there are really terrible consequences to that, both personally um, and and professionally. I think so. 
Um, I think ha talking more about mental health experiences, acknowledging the impact of different experiences people can have in the course of, of wildland firefighting, um, and then also uh, starting to make accommodations for, for um, one, these conversations, but like also for uh, people's needs. So, um, you know, in the course of a fire career, a fire season, or even a few weeks of work, we're not all showing up to uh, work every day with at the same level. And we shouldn't expect people to. That's um, just not how humans operate. And um, so be, having some flexibility to support people in their needs, whatever that might be, can go a really long way. And it starts with conversations from the um, from leadership. And uh, you know, leaders and managers can do a lot to really set the tone, even in really subtle ways, in how they receive information about how people are doing, or even just sort of communicating their care or interest in how people are doing. Yeah, I think that's big um, when you talk about leadership, because a lot of times, um, like you were saying, it used to be you have to show up to work, you get your work job done, um, this, you're expected to do these things, and in the eyes of the public, you know, sometimes you're heroes. You're coming in, doing these things, and, and then you kind of have that own image that you cannot talk about this stuff mm -hmm. because it's not right. Yeah. But it is important, especially for fire managers and people to understand that everyone, you need healthy mind, healthy body, or healthy body, healthy mind. I mean, they go two and two. They're symbiotic, yeah. so they have... You need to deal with them both. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, we we put so much time and resources and energy into being physically fit. Right. And, um, you know, wildland firefighters are some of the most physically fit people um, that I've certainly met. And um, it's part of, I think, it, you know, part of an identity and sort of cultural value. And I think we're starting to see more acknowledgement that there's a um, a non-physical part to that, and yeah, correlation between your yeah your mental health and your physical mm -hmm. fitness. So. Yeah, yep. Um, and you know, I think that I think there's a lot more we can do to support uh, support people in maintaining you know mental health or wellness, um, both as a community and then also through you know providing more support, like uh, more resources, more access to care, more um, maybe even changes in sort of how we how we operate. I liked recently hearing, too, that one of our <coughs> fire managers even admitted, you know, hey, I have a therapist. I talked to him this morning um, and, you know, it's OK. And sometimes that's what you need to get that different perspective because people in your peer group may not have that other perspective that you need to get where you need to be so yeah and that's another stigma is like oh the therapy yep you're mentally ill yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah and I, you know I'm I'm biased because I'm a therapist but right. you know I think that um yeah some of the most beneficial work that people can do is that doesn't necessarily mean you know it's not necessarily in the context of of trauma of depression of of severe um or really you know really hard times we can like there's a lot to be gained through um basically self-development it's like we do we do that in physical fitness we go to physical therapy we 
read articles about nutrition and supplements and do all kinds of tweaks to improve our, our physical well-being. And um, like you said, sometimes when we think about making those efforts in the area of mental health, it's like there must be something wrong. And um, that's absolutely not the case. And think about it's I don't know. I get fired up about this, but there's, there's what a missed opportunity. Um, there's so much benefit that we um, could get from putting that same level of attention towards our own, you know, emotional, and I guess mental well-being. Well, I know some people like to do puzzles just to keep their mind active, mm-hmm. and and that can help be helpful too. If I don't do yoga on a regular basis, I, I mean, I could definitely tell a difference. Just that kind of the mental release of just or meditation even mm-hmm. um but you're you know it's it's different for everyone but find that thing that maybe gives you that oh wow that really helped me out I need to do this more yeah for sure and um like you said it's it's gonna be different for different people but it could be puzzles it could be yoga or running or um bowling or <laughs> you know whatever it is it's like whatever experience um, I mean, to some extent, the experience is important, but it, it's really like what those opportunities to have joy, to connect with people, to have um, space to hear our own thoughts, to con- to have emotions, to, um, you know, let what is um, come to the surface. And, you know, fire is almost like the opposite. It's like go, 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 or um being ready to be on and available and ready to perform at a really high level. And um, so therapy could be part of that. It might not. Um, but, yeah, I absolutely advocate for for folks implementing a, um, I guess, I don't know what the terms would be, self-care practice or um, mental wellness practice. Um I think a lot about uh, physical therapy and and um, all the ways that people really invest in their their physical performance, and we can do we can absolutely do the same in in other areas. And maybe it's um, maybe you aren't comfortable going to a therapist, but maybe you're talking to somebody like you said, church, your your pastor, mm-hmm. or a mentor, or somebody that you're comfortable with, um, just to kind of have somebody outside that won't you won't have judgment. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, just talking to somebody that, you know, not have that stigma, oh, I'm going to a therapist, something's wrong with my head. No, there's nothing wrong with your head. You just need to talk to somebody. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, um, therapy is one format, and uh, and it's a real human relationship, and um, there are lots of other settings where we have those connections with people, whether it's friends or um, spiritual communities or practices, um, fire. There are lots of places that we have those really meaningful connections with people. Therapies um, may be unique in that it is a very structured and legally protected, conf- you know, in terms of confidentiality. And um, But absolutely, I think that those, those human connections are just so important. Yeah. So in closing, is there anything else that you'd like to mention? Um, just that, you know, just acknowledging that this is um, September, it's Suicide Awareness or Prevention Month, and um, there is a new amazing resource available nationally, uh, which is the 988 Crisis Hotline. And this uh, is a recent change, I think, in July um, that was implemented to 
basically serve as a single point of contact for um, a national suicide crisis hotline. So the um, previous hotline, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, uh, was basically replaced with with a short three-digit number, 988. The old hotline still works. The old 1-800 number still works. But um, 988 is much easier to remember. And then there's some expansions, some added features too. So that program, as I understand it, is still in development. And they're working to expand you know, connection, being able to connect people that call in or text in through to local services. Um, and, uh, you know, the people often ask, questions or have some hesitation sometimes about calling um, a crisis line or even really I think it's a helpline. You don't have to be in crisis to call. Um, it's for anybody that wants, that needs some support and um, or is worried about someone else. Um, they can also provide support and guidance about how to support people that you might be worried about. You know, that line um, just opens up a lot of access to people and ideally will help connect people with, with local um, resources, um, but you know, some I've heard some folks express concern that you know it sounds an awful lot like nine one one, and um, it's totally different than nine one one. Sometimes I, I hear hesitation from folks that they don't want to call because they're afraid someone might come to their house, and um, you know, the vast majority of calls to that hotline um, never result in anything like that. The only times that they would ever refer to an emergency service is if there's an actual emergency so that someone's life is, is at immediate risk. And um, so when you do call, it'll be a trained counselor that answers. Um, they'll listen to you and provide support, uh, maybe provide skills or resources or things to try um, that could be helpful, may direct you to other resources that um, that are out there and maybe even some in your local area. And um, so it's it's just a really powerful resource to have. And it's a very cool step, um, again, nationally, culturally, to acknowledging the importance of mental health. Mental health. And this is available for anyone, right? Not yep. just firefighters, but anyone. Anyone, yep. And the Veterans Crisis Line is also integrated into 988. So if if veterans call and press one, you'll be routed to the the veteran crisis line, which is still operated through through VA. But it's just a kind of a a hub, an easy to remember line for folks to connect with. Yeah, I kind of think when you said that, and it doesn't have to be like you're on the ledge, um, but you just hey, I have this question or that these things happening. I just need to talk to somebody. I don't. Feel like I can talk to my family right now or somebody else, yeah. but sounds like a good resource for that as well. It kind of reminds me of the Ask a Nurse kind yes. of program yes. for yeah. your physical. <laughs> now we have an Ask a Nurse for <laughs> yep. Ask a Therapist for the mental part, and so connecting the two that's great. Yep, and um, you know I think I think I said before earlier in the fireside chat, it's like when I think about suicide prevention, some of the most powerful things we can do are really far upstream of um, crisis. So it's being a good community member, connecting with people, checking on people, um, and doing those things that we need to do to to take care of ourselves if we're starting to notice changes um, or that we're having a hard time. Um, There's a lot out there and things change and um, things can change. And, um, so being able to, 
connect with those resources or be that point of contact for somebody to also remind them of that, that people care, that there are resources and that, that hope is um, hope is, is out there. Well, I'm really glad we're moving in this direction um, yeah. and making it okay to talk about these things. Yeah, yeah, and, ho- yeah and hopefully we'll continue and, and we'll have the mental and the physical will be whole. Yeah, just the beginning, for yes. sure. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us for this 10th episode of Wildfire Matters. Uh, we really appreciate talking to you and, and about this important topic of stress management, mental well-being, mental health and well-being for our wildland firefighters and for anyone for that matter. Um, 988, a good resource for anyone. Maybe just have a question about something that's going on. That's a good good resource. So thank you for that. And we appreciate all you're doing to help us. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you so much um, for all these resources and information. Um, And to learn more about NIFC or the BLM, please visit our website at www.nifc.gov. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions for future podcasts, email them by visiting nifc.gov website, scroll down to the Contact Us, use Wildfire Matter Podcast in the subject line, And to remember to follow us at BLM Fire on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you all for listening. Please join us next time when we spark a conversation with another wildland fire professional. Until Until then, then, stay stay safe and be wildfire wildfire aware. aware.